0: Welcome to Spark My Muse, everybody. Today, I have a special guest, Sheridan Boise, who has written the book, The Making of Us, Who We Can Become When Life Doesn't Go As Planned. Thank you so much, Sheridan, for being my guest today.
1: It's good to be with you, Lisa. Thanks for the time.
0: I've really enjoyed your book, and it is a story of pilgrimage that you took in a place I didn't even realize had a pilgrimage route. Um, Maybe you can talk about where exactly was your pilgrimage and why you decided to take it.
1: Well, actually, it's interesting you say that because officially there is no pilgrimage route Mm -hmm. that we did. We actually were kind of trialling a new one. Mm -hmm. uh, And we were given some support from Durham University to do that, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... the the journey actually kind of served a number of purposes. One is to see if there was a viable route that could be done. Uh, And secondly, an opportunity for my friend DJ and I to have these 10 days walking together and have all the conversations that made up the book. But yeah, we begin in uh, the north of England, uh, a little island called Lindisfarne, otherwise known as Holy Island. Um, This is either the or one of the, depending on which historian you'd like to talk to, uh, birthplace of Christianity in England. Mm. Um, Christianity probably came to what we now know as the United Kingdom, probably even as early as late second, well, early second century. Mm. But then when the Romans went back with their tail between their legs a few years later, Mm. uh, anything that really had any, any Christianity that was in Britain at the time really died off because it remained a Roman religion. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until the 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth centuries um, when you had these amazing people like Aidan and Cuthbert and Hilda and Bede, who were these wonderful, God-saturated, passionate followers of Jesus who then really went out and preached a storm that the Christian faith actually took root in the British heart. And so this tiny little island today, it's got all of 160 residents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's, it's got a couple of pubs on there, uh, it's got a, a, a little tiny island off itself, which is known as Cuddy's Isle, which is where Cuthbert the Saint used to go when everything got too noisy on, on the island, which, of course, back then would have been a handful of monks, and that's about it. <laughs> that's really where the, the, the faith spread from, the monks kind of going out, doing their missions from that little island. And then we've kind of followed the coast all the way down, about 116 miles to Durham, which is then where Cuthbert uh, is buried and really where the whole kind of town and the whole city of, of Durham has been built around. Mm-hmm. So, yep, that's the route that we took, generally following the direction, not the exact route by any means, but the direction that his monks later on carried his body when they were fleeing the Vikings. Mm-hmm. So that's the path we
0: took. Mm-hmm. And you were on your way to see something in particular, the Gospels. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to talk about
1: that a little bit? Oh yeah. Well, um, you know, Cuthbert, who's now my favourite saint of all time. I mean, if you, you know, I'd be interested to know how many of our listeners actually know of Cuthbert, Mm, because everybody knows of Saint Patrick and they know of, you know, we know of all these other saints in history, Mm -hmm. but Cuthbert is so integral to the story, Mm -hmm. and his legacy is immense. Not only did the whole city of durham built up around his shrine um not only are there schools and churches all around the world named after him um not only did he give us the world's first conservation laws i don't know Mm. if you caught that in the book lisa Mm. but this is the um, one of the great things that he gave he was the first person to basically write a law so that the locals weren't allowed to eat the local eider ducks and other birds that were on um, Lindisfarne and the surrounding islands. Uh, He also inspired some great art. And so a few years after he died, uh, the monks of Lindisfarne, with their little scriptorium there and their artistic skills, put together what is now one of the greatest pieces of art we have. And it's the Lindisfarne Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, beautifully illuminated, illustrated, um, beautiful calligraphy, of course, but opening up with these wonderful carpet pages and these wonderful introductory pages with giant letters that are full of little windows with dogs and animals and birds and all sorts of life between them. And the Lindisfarne Gospels are now 1300 years old. Uh, They're held in the British Library. They're so frail, they only come out and uh, get exposed uh, once every 10 years. Uh, you can only keep each page open for, uh, I think, a maximum of two weeks, and then it has to be turned. Mm. It's kept in a vacuum-sealed box. Incredibly frail, incredibly beautiful. So we had that opportunity to go and mm. see the Lindisfarne Gospels, um, and we basically fil- finished our pilgrimage within days of of that uh, exhibition closing. So, um, yeah, that uh, that was what we went to see.
0: And that's part of the reason why it was such a quick trip, because – In the book, you are really... Going in a speedy, <laughs> speedy way, just ten days, and and it, and your bodies are kind of paying for it and being sore and exhausted. <laughs>
1: Indeed, they are. Indeed, they are. Especially DJ, my friend who who walked with me. At one stage, he just had horrendous blisters. They were the oh. size of biscuits all over his, his <laughs> oh. feet. And and uh, as people who read the book will know, that really comes to a crescendo mm-hmm. in the last chapter. Mm-hmm. So I'll leave it. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah,
0: I would really like. Like for you to talk a little bit more about your friend DJ, he is a companion with you on the trip. He's uh, really a soul friend to you, and it's it's really beautiful. I, if you had gone alone, it would be such a different trip. Just the way DJ and and how your conversations go, the way he draws things out from you. Um, can you give us a, a sense and for people who uh, will hopefully pick up this book and read it, what what is he yes. like, and and how did he uh, work with you on this trip?
1: Yeah, so DJ is an integral character and a deep friend and uh, indeed the making of us, the book, just it, it wouldn't be the making of us without him walking alongside. I could have done the pilgrimage alone, mm-hmm. um, technically, but <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, the, all the conversations that happened. Yeah. Um, all the, the help and the way that we booked it. I and mean, it was a little bit of preparation required mm-hmm. to do. No, I you know, none of that would have been done. DJ and I first met in 2005. He's uh, for many years, he was working with compassion, the child sponsorship um, uh, ministry. Mm-hmm. And We first met because I was in radio. Uh, He then actually approached me to look after their national compassion radio event. Mm -hmm. So I looked after that for three years, which meant that he and I got to travel to, oh, I think about four or five developing countries together. Mm -hmm. And that's where we kind of really got to know each other with these trips that we did to India and Bangladesh and the Philippines and Mm -hmm. and, and, and just found that we had – Number one, a shared faith. Number two, a shared interest in theology and talking through Mm -hmm. various topics from a a biblical theological perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, We would go on to find we have so much more in common, uh, even down to... The fact that when we both get exceptionally tired, then we will respond in similar ways. You know, it mm-hmm. might be we just have you know, little crashes or uh, migraine headaches or mm. all sorts of things. Um, we've got a lot of these kind of small details uh, uh, in common. What we don't have in common is family. Mm-hmm. So he has two beautiful daughters, Uh one big storyline through the making of us, and indeed the, mm-hmm. the predecessor to this book, Resurrection Year, is the fact that Meren and I haven't been able to have children. Mm-hmm. But even that, there are some we can enter each other's journeys somehow. That doesn't separate us because one of his children has cerebral palsy, mm-hmm. so he knows what some of the difficult aspects of life can be. Mm-hmm. And He's also, Lisa, he's just a guy of great empathy. Mm. And so not only do we just enjoy each other's company, talking about things and, you know, get us together and, you know, hour and a half later we've just kind of scratched the surface. We could keep <laughs> on talking for hours. <laughs> but actually he's he's a deeply empathetic soul and so uh, he he listens well. And I think that's one of the gifts that we give to each other is that we do actually listen and help each other out through different times. Mm-hmm. The last, what, now, yeah, 14 years?
0: Wow. That's one of the things um, I think people will notice as they read um, and how your conversations go back and forth, drawing each other out, digging deeper into maybe um, what's really going on or or hurts or something that God is working on in your life. And the treasure of a good spiritual friend and someone who um, is okay to to push you a little bit further, maybe than feels comfortable. But because they love you, they they're trying to to see what God is up to in your life. I think that really, really shines in the book. And uh, some people might even be jealous of your friendship with him because it's a it's a yeah. very beautiful thing to see um, happening. And of course, as you're walking, you you're slowing way way down to be able to talk.
1: Yes. Well, for those who maybe are feeling a bit jealous, um, <laughs> can, can I throw something in? I realized about a decade ago that I really didn't have a lot of close friends. Mm. I had a lot of acquaintances. I had a lot of professional contacts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, Maybe a little bit more than a decade ago, I still had my helper's hat on. And so mm-hmm. I found that sometimes I... You know, I befriended a lot of people who needed help because I kind of felt like I should, you know, get in there and rescue them. Mm -hmm. But actually in terms of mutual, Mm -hmm. mutual friendships, and that's the key, isn't it? Actually, the the mutuality that comes with a soul friendship, Mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of them. I really had to get quite specific about Mm -hmm. saying, Okay, how there's a there's a couple of guys around and I reckon I could take those friendships deeper. Mm -hmm. And I need to be intentional about that. Mm -hmm. And so and DJ and I have to be intentional about it now. And so we often will have monthly Skype catch ups, Mm -hmm. we haven't had one for probably the last two or three months because Mm -hmm. uh, of various business scenarios in both of our lives. I'm feeling that and we have to really get another date in the diary to to make sure that happens, because there's a whole bunch of things that, you know, I know that he's going through that I'd I'd like to be there with him for. Um, But it has to be intentional, has to be mutual, Mm -hmm. there has to be some degree of spark. But ultimately, it it all all comes down to having time together. And then over that time, having more and more of your soul revealed to that person and finding that that is reciprocated Mm -hmm. in number one, empathetic listening and, and number two, that they will then Reciprocate in sharing their own soul. Mm-hmm. If it only goes one way, either you listening to them or you sharing with them, it's not quite yet a soul friendship. Mm-hmm. It might be a mentorship, uh, it, it might be something else, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not quite a soul friendship. Mm-hmm. So, Lisa, you, you know, you, you've gotten under something that I think was intentionally written into the book is me kind of nutting out what other qualities of a soul friendship um, and qualities that I'm really grateful mm-hmm. that uh, DJ and I can share.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's true that if you, if it goes for a while, it feels like you're missing a meal a little bit, like you're malnourished or something. And, Indeed. and it's not so easy. And I know you don't live really close to each other either. It's not like your neighbors that you can walk over and, and have a, tea together or something yeah, and it's that's super right. easy or something but but in the end um, if we can stay not hidden from at least one or two people uh, then I think that God really can use those people in our lives to draw us closer to God but when we're drawn close to each other um, uh, we, we don't have any place to hide hopefully <laughs>
1: yes 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 very yeah very well put
0: and tell me a little bit about the slowing down and walking. Are you uh, tend to be a, a pretty busy guy, or do, or was the slowing <laughs> down was it natural for you, or was it like this feels like a waste of time sometimes? Or how did that go?
1: <laughs> oh gosh. Well, I, I laugh on two accounts. Um, number one, because. Uh, twice in the making of us oh actually probably three times I talk about some burnouts that I've had and funnily enough Lisa this is something else that DJ and I share actually he also had uh, one major period of burnout in his own life I have been prone to be quite driven. Uh, secondly, I was laughing because I actually, by nature, walk very fast. And, uh, my you know, way back, my parents always say, just slow down, we can't keep up. My wife, slow down, I can't keep up. You know, people that I'm walking with, slow down, we can't keep up. Uh, I once heard that, you know, uh, you won't find any presidents or prime ministers walking quickly because it's uh, it's not a very stately thing to do. You'll find them walking slowly, methodically, intentionally, because that uh, projects uh, an image of being in control. So I have to keep <laughs> on reminding myself, you know, you've got to be stately, Sheridan, slow down. So, yes, you, you find that a pilgrimage uh, forces you to slow down. Number one, you're carrying everything that you have with you on your back. So you have to travel light but at the same time you still have to carry enough supplies and clothes or whatever you need mm-hmm. on your back so you, you might still have 10 kilos on your back so that will slow you down number two you just get tired mm-hmm. and as the pilgrimage goes on then you get more and more tired the, the, the tiredness accumulates and the pain in your feet accumulates mm-hmm. so that will slow you down uh, but, but what is also really important is to have those intentional moments of stopping so that you can just rest, uh, let your soul catch up with you, as, as the uh, I think the American Indians talk about, and then have those moments where you can reflect and you can listen on everything that is going on around you. I think in hindsight, uh, DJ and I, if we had our time over again to do that same pilgrimage route, we would actually plan in. Uh, at least one, if not two, complete rest days. Mm. Um, we we had <laughs> we were challenged in the end as to whether we needed to take some shortcuts on the trip because we were struggling to get there in time and we were struggling just with the, the tiredness and the pain of the walk. Uh, that we wouldn't have had to have faced that if we had put in some some rest days. Unfortunately, in this case. DJ couldn't leave any earlier. I couldn't leave any later. And all of those things meant that we had to do it in the time frame we did. But um, slowing down is just so important to these kinds of pilgrimage journeys, whether you stop or whether you just slow your pace.
0: You're um, giving me a perfect segue. I was going to read from page 116 in the book, and it talks about um, three parts of, of the human life. You, were, you mentioned um, in his book, the second journey, Gerald O. Collins, divides life into three stages, the first from childhood to maturity, and the third from old age to death. The in-between is the middle course that can be difficult and lonely, where the power of youth fades and, the, and failure now has consequences. Once settled, identities are challenged or lost. This tumultuous stage of disappointment and confusion uh, but can lead to new wisdom and purpose when navigated well. And then you say, along the hard terrain of the second stage are many tempting detours, promising to be shortcuts. They instead lead to dead ends, bringing our journeys to a halt. One winds off into darkened fields of addiction, afternoons to, in bars to dull memories, puffs of weed to escape, another swig of the bottle while the rubbish piles up, and flagons fill the room. Another detour leads to pleasure, full distractions, illicit affairs, or shopping sprees you say safe places in our imagination where the ugly reality can be avoided but it's all lies and this middle stage that a lot of us are in really um it's interesting they talk about the the tempting shortcuts and detours and maybe you can talk about um some of your thoughts regarding that that you had on the trip or that you have now
1: Oh, thank you for asking that. You know, I don't think anybody else in all the radio interviews and podcast interviews that I've done has actually asked about that. And, and it's just such an important area to explore is that as we were going along our journey and then, you know, particularly two thirds of the way in and things were just very difficult physically um, and even spiritually by that stage uh I was so tired, I wasn't really hearing regularly from God like I had been at the beginning of uh, of the journey. I had a retreat, and in the early days, I, I wasn't, you know, hearing that. I was. I, it was just <laughs> we were now into endurance mode. And that echoes so much of our own journey as adults very often where we have this in-between time. And I talk about it in the book. Thank you for mentioning the the page because I've got it open here now. Mm-hmm. You know, there's an in-between time in every journey, in every pilgrimage, in every life, when the excitement of our starting dwindles away and our ebullient march ebbs to a shuffle. And it's exactly it. When maybe you're having trouble with your teenagers, or you're having trouble with your career, or your marriage doesn't have that luster and spark that it used to have, and you're in the in-between time, and that's when you do have the temptation, the temptation is to have the affair, the temptation is to drown your sorrows in alcohol or some other escapist uh, activity it might be endless gaming all day something that takes you out something that takes you away from facing what you actually need to face i think the i think the encouragement here is number one this is actually where deep character is formed and if you can move through this in between time this is when you're actually shaped more than any other time uh, into the very image and likeness of God and we might say oh well that's all theological and and that's all you know moral and everything actually more and more now I believe that a good life um, a fulfilling life a fruitful life is the result of being shaped more and more into God's image into the likeness of Christ mm-hmm. that is where we are most free that is we are where we are most fulfilled and so, there are all sorts of benefits on the other side if we keep on pushing through. Secondly, it does call us to face what we're trying to run away from. Um, But thirdly, there are appropriate ways to give yourself a break during that time as well. So it's not just a case of grinning and bearing it. You can also not take a shortcut as such, but you can have a break and if there is a wise way of being able to deal with this so that you don't prolong the journey, well, then fair enough. This brings me back to the time when we were trying to work out whether we should take a shortcut in our pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. We had been you know, walking for all these days, no rest, and one afternoon we had another 16 miles or something to go until we reached our accommodation that night, and it's already the afternoon. And we were freezing, it was raining, uh, I don't know what the degrees would have been Fahrenheit, but Celsius, it was uh, maybe five or six degrees maximum. So, you know, our, our our fingers were shaking, the whole of our bodies were shaking from all of this and we was like, well, should we just call a cab and go to our accommodation from there? And we were wrestling with this because that's not what you're supposed to do on a pilgrimage, you are supposed to face it. In the end, we decided that we would take a taxi because, and this is key, it would actually help us complete the journey long term. If we didn't take a rest, if we didn't have an afternoon to give our bodies a rest, which required taking a taxi, then it was going to start being doubtful whether we were going to complete the journey in the end. I think there's something in that for us that you can give yourself a break. There are some there are some good. Holy, um, wholesome distractions that you can engage in mm. that can give your mind, your heart, your relationships uh, uh, some rest and headspace, so that you, then you can continue on. Mm. What we don't want to do is just go into those illicit diversions that then take us away from facing the journey as it continues to need. You know, it needs to be continued uh, tomorrow. On does that make
0: sense? Mm, yeah, thank you for that. That's that's really wise. Um, and there were lots of things that you talked about, lots of themes and, and issues that you were that you were pouring over. What one do you think um, had the most lasting impact on you?
1: Well, the theme of identity and purpose, mm. you know, comes up in so many books. But for the making of us, the subtitle really says it. It's who you can become when life doesn't go as planned. So when you find yourself in a different life setting, Mm -hmm. when you haven't been able to get married yet, uh, or you haven't been able to have children, um, or you got married and there was a divorce, or you haven't been able to achieve the career dreams that you wanted, or you've lost the career, you find yourself in a different situation. And all of those things come with an identity crisis. Mm -hmm. Because if you can't become a parent, well, then you're not going to become a, quote, mother. That's an identity statement or a a father. Or if the career has gone wrong, maybe you can't be the artist or engineer or teacher or whatever it was that you really felt that you wanted to become. And so you have to ask, who can I become now? And what should I do with my life now? Those were the two questions that I was asking. Turned out those were the two questions my readers were asking Uh, from all different walks of life and all different broken dreams. Those, I think, were the two big questions. And I think those have been the two long lasting ones Mm. uh, is that I had written articles Mm. and preached and talked endlessly about the wonderful identity that Christians have of being children of God but it's when you go through a, div- a difficult time that you really discover how deep that tr- that truth has penetrated your soul and as mm-hmm. to whether you're really living that mm-hmm. and i discovered i wasn't and i think that's been the biggest thing and as people read the making of us they'll find that, that that's a wrestle throughout the whole of the book will i really rest in this identity to the point where i could say if i don't i'm not a broadcaster anymore I don't write any books anymore, so I'm not a writer anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, All the other identities I've based my life on, Mm -hmm. if those things go, will I be content as a child of God with Mm. all the acceptance and the affirmation and the inheritance that that brings? And I think that has gone so much more deeply into my soul now as Mm. a result of writing the making of us, going through the journey, Mm -hmm. um, and reflecting on it deeply. And also realizing that uh, the biggest discovery, I think, in writing the book and in just kind of following our story and our journey out has been that the very adversity that has brought us to a point of questioning who we are and Mm. what we're supposed to do in the world is actually the very thing that God can use to bring our best gifts into Mm. the world, Mm -hmm. to bring our deepest sense of impact mm. and help and service to other people. Um, that's certainly what Merrin and I have discovered with childlessness, that mm. it's been the very thing that God has used to bring hope and comfort and help and new purpose and new life to other people. Um, so that has been – those those two or three things have been the, the big discoveries for me, and, and I hope that they're the discovery for the reader as well.
0: Mm. So, in your life and and your wife 's life in practical terms um, it 's kind of like the that's saying the obstacle is the way have you you have found in in practical terms you are coming alongside people who have been in your same situation as companions
1: yes indeed, so yes, other childless couples so just mm-hmm. right now, as we record this uh it is fertility week here in the united kingdom mm. which started as a very small affair and now has been supported by the bbc significantly so mm. i've been on national radio networks a number of times this week uh talking about our experience and i've been able to share also about the grace of god in the midst of that deep disappointment and, mm-hmm. and it is incredibly deep disappointment it was a 10 mm. year mm-hmm. dream for us that never came true mm. uh and yet that has been the thing that has connected with, with people uh, right around the world opened up doors to speak in mm-hmm. multiple countries, South Africa and the United States, and my original home country, Australia, here in the United Kingdom, various countries throughout Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, but even beyond those things has just been this ability to be welcomed into people's innermost parts of their lives, maybe areas of their life and in their soul that they never invited anybody else into. I mean, I've had sometimes quite well-known people, most of the time completely unknown people, tell me that maybe this is the first person they've shared this with, this Mm. particular broken dream. Mm -hmm. And it's well beyond childlessness. It might be the career or the marriage or whatever it might be that they've Mm -hmm. had problems with. Um, It's an incredibly precious thing to have somebody invite you into that part of their life and to share things with you that they otherwise wouldn't share with anybody. Mm. And it's come about because of the making of us and before that resurrection year, um, going actually open and being vulnerable, Mm. you know, with our own story. Um, And then seeing people catch on to this idea that maybe this can be the very thing that equips me, Mm. not just with empathy, uh, and not just with new knowledge and skills, both of which you get when you go through a dark wilderness of some kind, Mm -hmm. uh, but also connecting you with people you otherwise wouldn't meet. Mm -hmm. And then getting your entrance into a tribe of people that you otherwise couldn't enter Mm -hmm. if you hadn't gone through that particular loss or experience, uh, and then seeing that you can serve those people in a way that you otherwise couldn't. All of that starts to help people see that there could be meaning, there could be some sort of redemption, some sort of recycling of the mm. difficult times I've been through uh, into something meaningful and pur- purposeful and helpful for other people.
0: Wow. It's it's really incredible. And I, I think you're really onto something. God does that. It seems like all the time uses people willing to be vulnerable and, and share really what can be the, the worst parts of their life, whether it's um, sexual abuse survivors or, um, you know, domestic violence survivors or something like that. And they're mm-hmm. maybe trying to resist it, get over it, heal, of course, all those broken things shattered. But, but then, um, they're, they find new strength through it and they find, uh, like you're saying, a tribe. And what's, what's so beautiful about that is that, um, then someone is less alone because you're able to, to be there for them, and um, yes. I, I think that that is just such a grace of God that that um, that you would use your life that way, and uh, that's such a blessing. It, it's great to hear that, uh, even that you're open to that. Sometimes people don't see it that way. They they are still, well, they're still hurting probably too, but also they don't necessarily think, well, this, there's no gift here. <laughs> this is just something right. that's been taken.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, very good point. Um, Look, I I didn't really want this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This wasn't the brand that I wanted to Mm -hmm. uh, adopt. I didn't want to be known as the infertility guy, Mm. Uh, (laughs) all of which, you know, uh, the funny thing is that uh, I find that the doors to the media are open to me because a lot of men don't want to talk about childlessness Mm -hmm. and infertility Mm -hmm. and so you know they find that well here's a guy who's willing to talk about it um i didn't want to do that that wasn't the thing that i i particularly wanted to build my life around Mm -hmm. and thankfully it's not the only thing that i can speak on i Mm -hmm. speak on a variety of things and of course the making of us isn't about infertility as such it's about you know finding out who you can become when life hasn't gotten planned but Mm -hmm. uh, when you can get to the point where you've healed to a degree that then you are able to share your story in a way that is not lumping it on the other person because you're still trying to get some sort of healing yourself. Mm. And I think you probably know what I mean by that. Sometimes mm-hmm. you, you know, we we encounter people who, at the drop of a hat, will tell us all the details of their lives and mm-hmm. their difficulties and the brokenness that they've experienced. Um, it's not actually helpful for us. It's really them just kind of rehashing it again. So I think it's when you can move past that. Uh, find good counselors, good pastors, uh, good soul friends that you can work all that through. But then when you can kind of speak, Frederick Beakner talked about not necessarily speaking the story, but speaking out of the story, mm. that there is wisdom and treasures and gifts and graces in that experience that then you can kind of mine and then pass on to other people when you can do that that that's when the the real service starts i think mm. so it can take a little while you need a, a degree of healing to be able to move there mm. um, even still you might still need to protect yourself at times there mm-hmm. are still conversations that i have mm-hmm. with some people that i don't mention anything about not having children because mm-hmm. i just all i need i need to trust that if i share that with them even though it's public and it's in box books and everything and it's mm-hmm. documentaries made on it even if i trust it with them they're going to be trustworthy with it and mm. aren't going to, you know, say silly things or mm. open up old wounds, which, mm-hmm. uh, of course, sometimes can happen.
0: Yeah. And and really, um, people who are hurting, whether it's in the exact way that you felt um, brokenhearted or it's just a, a way that is a dream lost or a, a dream shattered, is that you're offering presence. Uh, that is really just one of those gifts that, uh, when you're when you're with someone and you're saying, "I I understand," just that alone, you know, even if you don't have an answer to their, their situation, yes. you know, yes. you, you're just saying, "Yes, I've I've really hurt deeply too." There's something about that that I think um, is God God um, working through us to to bring healing as well.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. That wonderful phrase in the C.S. Lewis movie, Shadowlands, Mm. we don't have any proof that he actually said it himself, but certainly the Anthony Hopkins uh, character that says, uh, we read to know we're not alone. Mm. uh, I think there's something really in that, that when you, can share your story. Oh, it can just help somebody else know that they're not alone and that can be healing in itself. Mm. Uh, Oh, by the way, there is a uh, reflection guide at the end. We should mention that too. Yes, Yes. because uh, you were saying, you were saying, (laughs) listen, you you missed it and then you wanted to go back. The funny thing is that I'm getting lots and lots of emails from readers and messages from readers saying, uh, I'm reading the book twice the first time to find out what happens in the end and what happens when you finally do. And if you do reach Durham Cathedral, because uh, not only are we there to see the Lindisfarne Gospels, but we're trying to get to Evensong at uh, (laughs) Durham Cathedral. And uh, yes, there's a very special moment that happens when we stumble our way into that, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which is a very special moment. But Mm. uh, but I, uh, and then then they're reading it a second time to go and do the reflection guide so they can kind of, you know, get the most out of it. So and, and that's becoming quite transformational for people, which is just such a joy for me as an author, because the book took such a long time to write, because I didn't want to any cliches, I didn't want to be easy answers, I wanted it to be something that would help people change and, and, and start again. Uh, but the creed was a very special moment for me, because I wanted to bring into some sort of poetic form, uh, all the lessons that I'd learned, not just during the pilgrimage, But then on the four years or so that I was reflecting back on the pilgrimage that it took to write the book Mm. and then to somehow bring it into something that then could be printed up and put on your wall, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, So I put together something called The Creed, and there's a long version of it in the book. There's a short version that people can uh, not only watch. Uh, But also you can download in a poster form, if you like, from my website, themakingofus.com is where you can find out about the book. And that's where you can also download the uh, Creed uh, poster as well, Uh, themakingofus.com. That's the thing that I'd love to end with. This is the condensed version. Just listen to this prayerfully. The hand that spins the galaxies brought me into being. The one who holds the stars has made me his own. I am God's child, my life is rich, my days are sacred. I am held by a love that's wider and higher than the farthest edges of this expanding universe. I am a pilgrim in this world in search of wisdom and wonder. I will take new adventures and follow God into the unknown. What I achieve is not as important as the person I become. So I will seek to imitate the nail pierced one. I will step in the direction of my strengths and talents They are spirit-given tools for my God-given tasks. I will pay attention to my persistent aspirations. They could be the whispers of God. I will serve all I can and walk deeply with a few. I will aim for great things, but leave my legacy to God. The path is long and the terrain at times hard. Still, I will not wish for another's life. I will take my place, play my part. Something important will be missed if I don't for the hand that spins the galaxies wants me here.